I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Friday Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Johnson. We're here. This is a huge event, a huge week. The Ryder Cup is here. Uh, this is exciting. I, I'm i a little bummed out. I'm not going to be on the grounds in uh, Rome, but I will be out in New York for the week, uh, getting a little bit better time zone for uh, the the Italy Ryder Cup, but it'll be an awesome week. Uh, Brenda and I will be together uh, as well as Matt doing some different things. We'll be over at uh, Summit HQ, Summit, uh, our clothing brand, Be Dratty and uh, and Zero Restriction. We'll be doing a bunch of fun stuff out there this week, but uh, we got a great podcast today. We've got Trevor Immelman, the lead analyst for CBS. Uh, He's obviously been kind of the voice of golf in uh, 2023 and uh, moving forward, he will continue to be. And uh, he came on. I thought he would be excellent to talk to since he was the last captain to go up against the Americans in a team competition. So got some unique insights and thanks to Trevor for coming on. Before we get to his uh, interview and discussion, today's podcast was brought to you by Club Champion. Listen, uh, I've been uh, back keeping a handicap, posting scores, and it's because I got some new sticks. You know, I, uh, I'm i finally back in the saddle uh, of the modern equipment. It's been fun. Uh, you know, it's been fun blasting the ball around. I'm not going to lie. And uh, I've got some awesome clubs. I I can't believe how, how well I'm hitting the driver. Um, I it's It's incredible what modern technology with the shafts and everything. And I knew I got fit into the right one. I mean, it was really clear when I did my fitting, what it was the right one. And I did it at club champion. Um, I did a full bag. I I'm really playing good golf. And I think a lot of it has to do with like being in, in equipment that, uh, is fit to me. So if you use the promo code fried egg, you will get 50% off your fitting with a club purchase. That's a good deal. That's the promo codes fried egg. Uh, and you get 50% off your fitting with a club purchase, a club champion. They have all kinds of combos that you like can't get a lot of places. And I think that's the the big draw to going there is like you're going to get your best clubs because they have everything. So uh, go to Club Champion, schedule your fitting, use the promo code FRIEDEGG and get 50% off uh, with a club purchase. Now let's kick it to Trevor Immelman uh, and talk Ryder Cup. Trevor, we were just uh, joking around. I, I mean, how are you enjoying the off season? Uh, you're the only only man in golf that gets one. Yeah, it's felt good. It's felt good. I was thinking back to when last I've had like a significant amount of time off without obviously being injured. But still, when you're injured as an athlete, you are 
you're always trying to find little ways to, to grab other edges. So you'll still be working out or you'll be doing something to try and f at least convince your mind you're getting a little better. But this is the first time that I can remember since I was a little kid where I had like a significant amount of time off. So yeah, after the Tour Championship, I'm done until uh, the farm is at Torrey Pines. So it's it's been great. Just been so good to be back home and, um, you know, catching up with some of the other things that, that I like to do. Yeah, yeah. You got you got a kid at college. Uh, you're going up there this weekend. Are you, are you a little worried about the Clemson football program? Well, he is a senior in high school. Okay. So he's, he's going to college. Yes, going to college. Uh, but we've been going to Clemson for a long time. Uh, really, um, you know, fell in love with the town and the school more than a decade ago. We've got um, great friends that uh, are up there and go up there a lot. And slowly but surely, we've sort of um, become involved with the community and different things that are going on up there. And so we try and go anytime we can. Uh, yeah, I am a little worried about it. We obviously had a, you know, a giant hiccup in week one against Duke. Was not expecting that. And uh, then a, a couple of walkovers here since. But tomorrow is going to be the real test against Florida State, who are pretty damn good this season. Yeah, yeah, big game, big game this weekend. I, uh, you know, it, I feel like week one can be a little fluky too. So, um, hey, we uh, we got the Ryder Cup this week. It's it's a big event. I've heard it's uh, rumor <laughs> is it's a big event. I asked you to prepare and do five things. You were complaining about it when we did the Masters Pod, and, and this time yeah. you just flat out said no. I'm not doing yeah, it. Yeah, I I absolutely refuse, Andy. I refuse. This is the second time that you've invited me to be on your podcast. And then you give me work like I'm Brendan or Joseph or one of these people that did work for Fried Egg. And so I'm here as your guest. I'm not going to prepare and study and take notes and stuff before I come on the podcast. I'm going to wing this thing. Well, that's that's the way I do a lot of podcasts on the Shotgun Start. So. <laughs> Uh, I, I think it sometimes leads to the best stuff. So I, I prepared a few extra. And uh, because of that, we'll just run through these. We'll run through some big topics about the uh, the Ryder Cup. Um, obviously, your your resume is uh, is is great. You you were the captain of the President's Cup team uh, last year. Sneaky team. I feel like a couple things go your way. You pull off the end, uh, the upset of the of the century bigger than the Duke Clemson upset. Um, <laughs> if, if a couple things go your way on Sunday and Saturday, um, with the Ryder cup, they, the home team gets to set up the golf course in a, you know, just a general, um, idea. And, and Joel Beal just wrote an article for golf digest. Has it gone too far? Do you, what do you think about the idea of setting up a golf course? Should it be a neutral party setting up the golf course? I mean, the last away team win was Medina, which was a, kind of a fluky win if you think about it what huge comeback but has the home team setup um situation gone too far no i don't think it has i really like it and i like it so much that um we introduced it last time around at the president's cup in the past the uh, pga tour set up staff and officials just took care of it and, you know, they do a brilliant job week in and week out. We've seen that. They very, very, very rarely will screw something up. They've gotten so good at setting up golf courses week in and week out. 
But we wanted to get to a point to where when we're playing away in the President's Cup, it doesn't always feel like we're just dropping a PGA Tour event into a foreign country. So we wanted to be able to take some control over that. Uh, it was approved. And so because we were starting at that time in Charlotte and the Americans were having a, uh, a home event, they were able to take control of Quail Hollow up until the Monday of the event. So it'll be going forward that way in the President's Cup. Uh, Montreal will be the first time that we actually get to set the golf course up the way we want leading up to the event. We've actually made a few changes um, that uh, we think will be able to maybe play into our hands a little bit. And so I actually like the idea. I, I think it's, it provides another talking point. It makes it interesting. And so I'm all for it. I'm all for it. And really, it's, you know, it hasn't worked that badly for the Europeans. You know, what are they, they've won seven out of the last 10 Ryder Cups. A couple of them have been here in the U.S. You mentioned Medina. Where was the other one? 2004 was the other, other one. That was, was Oakland that Hills. Yeah, Oakland Hills. Yeah. So, you know, they've managed to get it done. It's just the Americans that quite, you know, incredibly, it's quite fascinating that they haven't been able to win in Europe for three decades. It it yeah, I mean it's crazy. It's I I almost am starting to believe it's just like a statistical anomaly. Um where it, they're too talented not to. And I, I guess, you know, my thought my my question for you is, you know, if you're the Europeans, what types of things are you doing in setup that would counteract this talented American team that you, for the most part, a very similar team to the President's Cup went against? Well, you know, nowadays these team events of uh, data has become such a huge part of it. And so they'll be running all of those numbers. And I was so deep in all of that stuff over the last couple of years that, um, you know, I haven't paid any attention to this Ryder Cup <laughs> from a data standpoint. So, you know, in years gone by, just this um, thinking my way through it, in years gone by, it was always kind of known that the Europeans were straighter drivers of the ball. The Americans were a little more wild. And so they would set these courses up, whether it be the Belfry or whether it be at... Like, uh, golf. like golf National was That's right. I mean, one. France was a, a perfect example. Wales was another one. Anytime they've gone over there, they would get those fairways, you know, inside of 25 yards wide and they'd be able to provide themselves with an advantage, but now, you know, you go down that American team, you got a lot of great drivers of the ball, not just long, but quite accurate as well. So to me, that advantage has kind of gone away. So they're gonna have to find some other avenues. Another one that they always used in the past was that would slow the greens down. Americans are much more used to putting on really quick greens, really firm greens. Uh, at times, although saying that, I mean, we've had some some marshmallows over the last few years with all the rain and all that kind of stuff. Um, but now that maybe has gone away as well. When you consider that, gosh, what is it? 11 out of the 12 Europeans play on the PGA Tour. So, I mean, they're also used to putting on fast greens week in and week out. So maybe some of the little tricks that they used in the past have gone by the wayside. and. And um, 
maybe that's one of the top five that I'm looking forward to for this Ryder Look Cup. That. It's just how this we're going to get your five. Out. We're going to get yeah. your five through conversation. I'm going to throw that one into my five. Actually, that was good. Yeah, I it it is. I mean, it's become a, a singular, almost a singular dominant tour. I mean, you got. I guess you could say that like a guy like Ryan Fox and is holding on. He's like the only, I think like, and he's not even a European, but he's like the only guy that's like seemingly not coming over to America when he has the opportunity to, but like everybody else, it's, it's, you get that, that PGA tour card and you, you run there. Um, uh, I, you mentioned data and I think a, a fascinating aspect of this Ryder cup is going to be, you know, the Europeans, especially with Dodo Molinari on on the captaincy, I think they are going to be extremely data oriented decisions with their team, with their pairings, everything. And with the American team, it seems like it swung kind of back to the the old era of of the boys club right now, like Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas are going to be paired together. Xander and Patrick Cantlay are going to be paired together. Those have been formidable pairings, but mm-hmm. you know, you know, Sam Burns and Scotty Scheffler are going to be paired together. Um, we know the pairings ahead of time for the Americans because there are they are pairings that are centered around friendships. And I think like somebody's like, oh, you know, this Xander Patrick Cantlay pairing's been great. Well, like you know. Those are two guys that are great at everything. Yeah. You know, like they could kind of work with anybody, I would imagine. Yeah. They're but unbelievably good. I think the one of the things I'm watching is like this US team has kind of become the team that it attempted to displace, you know, a decade ago. What after mm-hmm. the after the Watson failure, you know, this was the idea is we're gonna get more data focused, we're gonna be more and it seems like we have returned back to the boys club. So something I'm really interested in watching is, is are we going to get some really odd European pairings that are really data oriented that we don't expect? And then is the U S team going to have, you know, can they move from any of these pairings? Okay. So there's a lot there for me to unpack. First of all, I have no problem with the U S team. You know, everybody's thrown around this term boys club. You know, I think that was the genesis of this task force or whatever they called it, you know, a number of years ago after Glen Eagles, where the players, uh, much like what's happening with the PGA Tour right now, wanted to take a little bit more control, pay attention to what's going on behind the scenes and really get a bigger picture of everything, seen as though they're such a huge part of it. And... There's two parts to that. First of all, it's to improve camaraderie. And that is a, a, a priority, but it's not the biggest priority. The reason you're actually doing this is to win. And this is what the big test is going to be for them because they haven't won over there in so long. And I think they fixed the first part, which is making sure that all of these guys get on together. They enjoy being in each other's company. There's something to be said for that, I promise you. There absolutely is something to be said for that. There's, there's a lot of um, you know, older generation players that will say, well, you guys just need to suck it up. Golf is golf, and you've got to go out there and play. And I get that part. But I've also seen how when you have a group that really can knit tightly together, 
how players can start to perform at a different level, at a better level. And it really can start to pull things together and be something very special. So I have no problem with the, the, the boys club kind of thing. I, to me, I thought that this Thomas pick was uh, kind of obvious and natural. I've seen it close up with that guy. He is the heartbeat of that team. Uh, it would not surprise me at all if, if him and Spieth are all first on Friday morning to set the tone. That's the position that they like to go out in and that they've had a ton of success in. So that boys club part doesn't doesn't bother me. And you're right. A lot of the pairings are natural. But now how are they going to involve the two major champions? How are they going to involve Wyndham Clark? How are they going to involve Brian Harmon? Uh, Brooks Kepka is another one. He's somebody that had a lot of experience in teams as well. So he can bring that part of it in. But he hasn't been on the PGA Tour week in and week out with these guys. So... Um, you know, maybe they'll be on a fast learning curve there. It was good to see them go over and, and make that trip to Italy for a couple of days just to get get to know each other even better. As far as the European team goes, yeah, there's a possibility that we see some funky stuff. And it's what to me, what's going to be interesting is some of the stuff I've read from Luke Donald is the golf course is extremely hilly. It's going to be a tough walk. I've already told these guys that they may not be able to play all five matches. We've got backup caddies. It's such a tough walk. I mean, stuff like that is quite interesting to me. And I'd love to be a backup caddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, How do I yeah, submit my resume? Like, that sounds like a pretty good gig. It's like being a backup quarterback. I, I mean, got to be the greatest job in the world. Um, That's like when ZJ uh, David Green went to the Ryder Cup as, a, as the caddy of the assistant captain a couple of years yeah. ago, and he was driving the cart around. <laughs> that's right exactly so uh you know how are they going to do that because whilst the european team is strong don't get me wrong they're strong and they have a chip on their shoulder and they got absolutely whipped last time so they're carrying that uh, as some extra motivation you know how deep are they going to be you know, if Rom can't go five, if McElroy can't go five, if Hatton can't go five, and Fleetwood and all their big dogs, uh, Hovland, then, you know, does it start to get a little thin with certain pairings where the Americans can just come at you all day long with a number of different pairings? That, to me, is going to be Luke Donald's toughest task, and I look forward to seeing how they go about that. And like you say, I mean, Eddie Molinari, he's, he's, he's gotten great at this kind of stuff over the last few years. And uh, he works with a number of players week in and week out on the tour. So maybe they got a little something cooked up. I, you know, I think this, this hits on really my next topic, which uh, is the back end of the Europeans. It's always a topic of conversation. It is no matter what, you know, you, you look at that those bottom four and it's it's the weakest four players in the match i think like if you were talking about the americans and you might throw justin thomas in the bottom of the americans but i think everybody would say the bottom two are like they would i don't think it's necessarily just but the most popular answer would be um brian Harmon and wyndham clark those guys are top 10 players in the world right now you know it's a it's a crazy you know situation where that that's considered to be their bottom two, but those are guys that like were at the top of the points list, right? Nobody's right. played better. That's <laughs> right. They qualified automatically. 
And you start to look at the bottom of the Europeans and there's no denying like, you know, I, I did a, a, a draft with Shane Bacon and, and when I listed out the 24 players and ranked the 24 players, it became so apparent like when the Europeans have to go to that bench, that's where they get really weak. I think at the top, it's super impressive what, especially with the ascension of Victor Hovland over the last couple of months, like their top looks great. And I think you could say maybe the top four, and this is a next topic, but maybe the top four are better than American four. But then once you get past like the third European, it is just, you, you can't help but notice it's just a line of us guys. And, and with the golf course being hilly, I think that's a big detriment to the Europeans. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I don't know anything about the course either, Andy. I mean, just the stuff that I've read, saying it's hilly. Um, Drivable you know, par fours. It looked seemed to me like there could be three or four drivable yeah. par fours, only four. three par fives with yeah. one being the 18th hole. I mean, that could be funky. Look, when I was finishing my stint, and my playing career the last few years playing in Europe, you know, in all of the meetings, they were talking about this golf course and designing this golf course specifically for the Ryder Cup for match play. And um, over the last few years, the tour members over there have had a close look at it. So I, I kind of am so intrigued to see how it plays out. And once you start to pack uh, the European fans, I mean, they are the best. They are the best. That's one of the things that I'm looking forward to is the, the passion that they bring, the songs that they come up with and they're singing all the time. You know, remember that first tee set up there in, in Paris? It was incredible. I mean, golf has never seen anything like that. And that's uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. But what, one thing the Europeans have done so well really since the mid 80s is and it sounds disrespectful for us you know to say players down at the bottom of the list you know all of these guys are so damn good and so i i don't want anybody out there to take my my words uh, and misunderstand them but the european has or team has always found a way to get those guys to play well you know you look at uh the philip prices Robert Carlson, Robert Carlson, people like that. They, they have done I mean, Ignacio Garrido, Nicholas Colsarts. I mean, these guys have come out there. Thomas Peters is another one. They come out there and they hold their own. They just they find a way. And this goes back to what I was talking about earlier. When you have a system in place and and a a locker room that cannot be rocked by anything. And you get this tight-knit group and everybody rowing in the same direction. You can get players and athletes to perform above their ability and above their norm. And some way, somehow, for the majority of the time, the European team figures that part out. And that's why um, it's, it's so impressive that they've won seven out of the last ten. How would you go about mitigating... Say... say it's not going to be feasible for the big guys to play five rounds. How would you go about mitigating that with pairings? Would you be looking at sliding a Bobby back, um, a Hogard, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful. I think like a surprise, there's a thing I have later about surprise performers. One of these guys might be surprise performer. Would you look at pairing one of them with a top dog 
and or how would you go about your strategy? Do you do you like to put the big guys out together, you know, and create these like kind of juggernaut pairings to go against the Spieth and Thomas? If you know it's going to be they're going to probably be out first, you know, to go against your Xander Cantley, do you or do you like to put those guys in with other, you know, kind of middle tier and maybe you get a surprise? How did you kind of think through that with the President's Cup team? And how would you think through if you're if you're Luke Donald? Yeah, some of it has to do with the form that the players are bringing into the event. You know, it also has to do with how their games mesh together with this particular golf course. I would imagine that Europe will come out quite strong. You see, it's tougher for us to... um, Gosh, I'm just using words that that, kind of make me cringe a little bit. But it's tougher for us to hide players because we play more matches yeah. in the President's Cup. So in the Ryder Cup, they've got four and four uh, each of the first two days and then the 12 singles. And so it's a little easier to bench some guys and, and blend them in quietly. I don't think Europe really has an option. I think they've got to come out really strong with all their big dogs on Friday morning and just try and get stuck in, get points on the board, maybe take the lead and then see how it progresses from there. But, you know, you look at one of the Europe's rookie guys who's been a pro for about five minutes in Aberg. I mean, this guy all of a sudden has gone from being a college kid to somebody that nobody is worried about at the Ryder Cup. I mean, they're talking about him in the same terms as Hovland and Rahm and McElroy. He's like one of the guys that they can rely on. It really has been a, a meteoric rise for him. Uh, In a way, that happened to us with Tom Kim. I mean, he was way off of my radar with like nine months to go. And next thing he was, uh, you know, if not our best player at the President's Cup, one of our best players. So, uh, you know, that's something that they don't have to worry about anymore. That's been an absolute gift for Luke Donald. But yeah, you would try and bleed it in with somebody who's got some experience, somebody who can handle it, somebody who can shepherd some of these players through the magnitude of the moment, how unsettled you can feel, how exposed you can feel. And you try and blend them with somebody that that they'll feel comfortable around that'll also have their back. You know, for JT, he's got to be happy. Speaking of another Kim, that Siwoo Kim's not walking through the door. I think he might have <laughs> nightmares of, of what Siwoo did to him on Sunday. It's so, it's so interesting because I took some heat Man, I took a lot of heat. I still take heat for the President's Cup. It's kind of tough. My mentions will probably explode after this damn podcast drops again. <laughs> but, uh, you know, everybody was saying, oh, you got to send out Tom Kim first. He's got, he's so excitable, all that kind of stuff. First of all, you know, it had been a long week for Tom. And uh, he was doing some heavy lifting and he was pretty beat. I wanted to get him a little bit of rest on that Sunday morning. But I was about... certain that Justin Thomas would go out first in their singles. He's done it a number of times, particularly when Tiger's not on the team. If Tiger's on the team in recent years, he's gone out first, particularly when he was captain down in Australia. So I was thinking through, you know, how could I find somebody that's going to be able to handle what Justin Thomas brings? And we've seen that. It's not just the game and the ability and the intensity. He's very intense when he's out there competing. But, you know, how he gets the crowd going when he's on home soil. You think about 
these Ryder Cups and President's Cups when he plays in America. He really gets things going, and that's why I said earlier he's the heartbeat of their team. And it was just Siwoo Kim. He was going to be the guy that would not give a damn about anything that Thomas was doing. He would laugh it off. He would joke about it, and it would not get under his skin, but it would inspire him. I think I think it got under somebody else's skin. <laughs> well, you know, maybe maybe it did because Siwoo was basically doing the same thing on the other side, and it worked out quite well for us, and we managed to get that point, which is a huge point to get. Anytime you can beat Justin Thomas, it's a it's a massive accomplishment for the other team. Uh, it was one of the more memorable team matches I've, uh, you know, I, I, I go back. Like, actually, it's interesting because JT is involved with JT, uh, Cam Smith. Was it Cam Smith that played JT in Melbourne? That's exactly right. That was an extraordinary match. That was an incredible was match. Um, it was brilliant. But th- I remember exactly where I was watching that Siwoo Kim JT match. I mean, it was it was an ex- it was an awesome. It was everything you want from a match. It was there was great play. There was there was antics back and forth. There was just it was it was an incredible, incredible match. I think um, I, so from what you were saying about about the Europeans, I, to me, what an ideal scenario is. And this is an ideal scenario for any team is they get a little bit of a cushion after Friday and on Saturday, they might have the uh, be afforded the ability to have a session where a couple guys sit. Exactly. And that and that's exactly what I was talking about. They, they, I imagine they're going to come out with all the big dogs. First two uh, sessions at at the very least Friday morning, and at least try to establish themselves and maybe start to build a little cushion to where then they can use their imagination a little bit more to get some guys some playing time before the singles. Uh, you you definitely need to do that. It's very very difficult for these players who get there on Monday, probably they got to sit all week until Friday when the tournament starts, at least for us as well in the President's Cup, it starts on the Thursday. But these guys are so antsy, they're so hyped up, you're burning so much emotional and mental energy that to have to sit for an extended period of time when the tournament gets going, it's, it's really tough on these. I mean, at the end of the day, all 24 of these guys are you know, you can rank them 1 to 24, but these guys are alphas, all of them in their own right. You know, these guys I have unbelievable ability. They have a little bit of ego, some more than others, and they have a ton of confidence. And so for any of them to sit for an extended period of time is a bitter pill to swallow. And as a captain and as a group of captains, that's one of the things that you're managing is you, you don't want any negative energy to start to bleed its way into the team room. And that that's, a, that's, that's tricky. It can be tricky. That's the argument against just if you, if somebody doesn't, if somebody doesn't have it the week of just sitting them all week. It's a big call. It is such a big call, man. That would be tough. And it's been done in the past. I mean, you know, we think back to um, 99. Was it 99 when Crenshaw was the captain or was it 95? I think he was the captain at Brookline, which was 99. 
99. So that was the one where they wore the short, the shirts with yeah. all the pictures. Lennon mm-hmm. made that bomb playing against Olathabo. So the European team sat a couple players. The whole I wanted week. to say all week till yeah. the singles. It was Yarmo Sandlin and Andrew Coulter. How, how do they do that to to a legend like Sandlin? <laughs> I mean, do you have any good Sandlin stories? Tough. Can we do a quick divergence? Do you have any good Yarmo Sand uh, Sandlin stories? Uh, we have many, but not fit for this podcast. When we, <laughs> when we used to go play over in Scandinavia, he, he's a legend, a legend of the European tour. And uh, gosh, that's tough to sit like that. And then I'm wanting to say one of them got Tiger Woods in the yeah, single. I think which it was, was Yarmo. It was Yarmo? I can't remember. Yarmo was doing the the gun at someone. <laughs> in, no, in a no. Ryder Cup, he took his. No, butter. that wasn't the Ryder Cup. I wanted to say that was the old uh, Alfred Dunhill when they used to play at St Andrews and they used to play the countries against each other. <laughs> he was doing. The, he was doing the gun. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, I'm going to have to Google this now. Who did he play in the singles? Oh, let's see. I, I think I could dive in here, but uh, but so you ninety five. You don't think you could do that. Here we go. I got I got it. I got it. So Yarmo, so Coltart got uh Tiger. He lost three yeah, and two. And Yarmo go. got uh got Phil. He did he was doing the <laughs> machine gun to Phil. He was. I remember this. He was doing it at to, the Ryder Cup? To Phil, yes. I'm almost one hundred percent sure. I don't I don't remember it at the Ryder Cup, but I remember it at, at the old Alfred Dunhill at St Andrews. I was a kid watching it going like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> oh, but yeah, I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening this time. I really don't. It's the, the data. What would, would the data say to hide him? Does Is that what, like you said, you were deep in the data with the President's Cup. Does it say like, just do not put him out there until until you have to? It, no, not with me. It didn't. Not with me. It didn't. But maybe, you know, the Europeans might be viewing this through a total different lens. You know, when you understand that, um, you know, guys like Hoygaard and McIntyre, I mean, they've won the Italian Open at this venue. Yeah. So maybe maybe they feel like these guys have a little edge on this golf course. They have great feelings and memories about this golf course. You know, Rose brings all the experience. Lowry brings experience. And and I think he's one of those guys that, you know, people also, we were talking about JT getting a pick on the American side, which I was never worried about. I thought it was always the correct play. And there were certain people out there I was reading that were questioning Lowry getting picked. That was I, that insane. Is ridiculous. <laughs> that is ridiculous. <laughs> Shane Lowry is like a legit player. And he is the type of guy. I mean, do you remember him when they were getting smashed at Whistling Straits? He was how the only guy. Was? Yeah, he was the guy that was like showing out. That was super intense. That it was like it was Sunday. It was all but over, and he's like going nuts coming down the stretch. That's right. I remember him making that putt on eighteen yes. and giving like biggest celebration. I mean, this guy—he's a stud, Shane Lowry. He knows how to get it done. He's got a ton of experience. Um, and to me, it's a no brainer. I can see him playing regularly 
and he's one of those guys that will step up even more. And he's coming in with decent form. He's played well the last couple of weeks. Hey, there was one more player that that only played singles in that in that Ryder Cup for the Europeans. Do you know who it was? I got it up here. A little three of them only played one time. (laughs) Yeah, three of them. That's incredible. Can you do you have a guess as to who the third was? I I could give you a clue, but it would be so obvious. Uh, Mark James was the captain. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't Paul Laurie. He was. He He played. He played all five. Yeah, he was the Open champion. It was not Monty. It's it was, uh, it was a guy that wasn't the Open champion. Vandeveld. <laughs> Vandeveld. Really? Yeah, he went own one, and uh, he who he who did he draw? I mean, it's pretty incredible that they matched up Phil and, and Tiger with the guys that they didn't that hadn't played all week, and Vandeveld got Davis Love the third. Wow, <laughs> Yarmo, Yarmo lost five and three. Vandeveld lost six and five. And Coltart lost three and two, just drubbings. Yeah, but to be fair, from a from a, a stats and data standpoint, really, if those are the three guys that you're most worried about, in an ideal situation, you would want them to draw America's best players. That's true, and hope that something miraculous happens, and then the other nine match up a bit more evenly from a strokes gains standpoint this is an insane thing to look at it's just how how this whole uh comeback cap happened with them just winning the first six matches like yeah evening it up right there hey let's take a quick break and let's talk about our sponsor red rooster All right, we talked about clubs earlier. One thing that's super important, unless you're Lucas Glover, is gloves. Um, You know, some people burn through golf clubs. I'm not really someone that does that. I do like a really nice glove, and I've been really, really impressed with Red Rooster. Um, They sent us some gloves. I personally am a big fan of the Sussex, but they have a bunch of others, including the Rain Rooster um, and, you know, another one that I would recommend that they they sent over is the cape. So these gloves are really, really super high quality. And this company, they only make gloves. They uh, specialize in this. They they did really quite well in the in the golf spy rankings. They have the number one rain glove. And then the cape got the best performance, first in the best performance. And we know, you know, golf spy, they they don't pull punches. So um, if you use the promo code FRIEDEGG15, you'll get 15% off your order, uh, any gloves. They've got women's gloves, kids' gloves. Um, they've got like starter kits that can get you going. Um, and if you use the promo code FRIEDEGG15, you'll get 15% off. And that's redroostergolf.com. Uh, redroostergolf.com. Thanks. And let's get back to Trevor Immelman. Um, all right, moving on. We've we've talked about the back end of the Europeans enough here. Um, let's go back. Go to the top of the roster. So, if you were going to take the top four of either team, I think this is a, a, a interesting thought experiment. Which top four are you taking? 
So if you go OWGR, it's it's Victor, Rory, Rom, and Fitzy versus Chef, Scheffler, uh, Cantlay, Xander, and Homa. But if you go to Data Golf, I think I like this one a little bit more in terms of like how it would break out. It's Rory, Victor Hovland, Rom, and Fleetwood, who's been I think sensational the last yeah. four months of. I mean, he's been sensational all summer versus. Uh, Scheffler, Shoffley, uh, Cantlay, and Morikawa would be that be that fourth guy. So are those the four you're wanting me to compare? Yeah, which one? Which which top top end do you like more for this event? Yeah, I think the Europeans. I think the Europeans when it comes to top four, because you know they. Whew, I mean, Hovland has turned into is a he, is he a is proper, he a tier one? Golf- is he tier one player? Yeah, I, I, look, feel like... I, I know he doesn't have the major, but right now he is in my top plateau of McElroy, Rahm, Scheffler. He is right in there with these guys. Does Brooks belong in there? Is would be my next question. It's so tough to answer. We just don't see him and I it's He's the I most. Just don't get him play enough against deep enough fields, and oh, I'm just going to hear about this endlessly as well. well but I... I just don't get to see him play enough against deep enough fields. Now, saying that, I have to say, the guy pitched up at the Masters, and you know, after two and a half rounds, it looked like it was over, and then. You know, all of a sudden the weather came in and there was delays and they couldn't finish. And then Sunday became a marathon and he didn't get the win. But that sure was impressive golf. And he finds a way to get over that and then come to the next major and just destroy the field there. So the ability that he has in big time tournaments to play his best golf and stare the best in the world down and drub him is you got you got to respect that. I mean, this guy is a five-time major champion. But I just don't know what kind of form he's bringing in. Like, I, I believe they play this week in your hometown. I, but, I am um, not, I'm not from uh, Sugar Grove, Illinois. That is I mean, an it's hour and a half. Close an hour and a half from Chicago. I love that it's live Chicago. It's an hour and a half away. It's close enough. But before that, when did we see him play? Was it the Open? Well, this is, I would say he's the biggest wild card of any player in the in the event. It's not Bob McIntyre. It's not Nikolai Hogard. It's not Ludwig Aberg. It's not, like, this guy, we have no clue. He hasn't played in forever. He hasn't played anything meaningful since, since the PG, or since the um, Open Championship, which he didn't play well. Also, he had a kid during this period and he had some quotes about how he just like all he cares about is being with his kid, which I completely understand having had a kid recently. Like, you know, I mm. get the whole mentality and, and and I just like he's not getting paid. He shows up for majors. I don't know where this is going to really fall. I think Brooks is a, like a priority golfer, right? When when something aligns within his priorities and what he cares about. He is absolutely a tier one golfer. Yeah, he's in that. To answer your question, he is in that top plateau with those guys for me. But I just don't know what kind of form he's going to bring yeah. to the Ryder Cup. 
Like, and- if there's anybody out of these 24 players that can find a way to get it done when it really matters, he's got to be the guy because we've seen him do it. Yeah. I just like, do, where does the Ryder Cup fall in his like mind too? Because we've seen this like live events. It doesn't seem like he cares. Um, PGA regular PGA Tour events. He never cared. Like it was just all all geared towards the majors and the Ryder Cup. Like I don't necessarily think he view he views the Ryder Cup like a major, right? I don't think he's been grinding for the last three three weeks, getting ready for the Ryder Cup the way he would if this was the Masters. Mm. I read an article either today or yesterday that had some quotes from him where he was talking about this was one of his main goals for the year was making it onto this team mm-hmm. and playing in this Ryder Cup. So, you know, maybe maybe it's a little bit different to years past where he, he spoke about having some issues with the timing and being told where to be and when to be and yeah. uh, more wanting to be on his own. Maybe... Uh, Maybe after that last one at Whistling Straits, after the performance that that team had, he's like, I want, I want another piece of this. Because the quotes I read in the last couple of days seemed like he's pretty jacked up for it. Well, any live, uh, any live enthusiast will say he's out there carrying the flag for the for the rest of live golf. But what, well, he'll be quick to to denounce any of that. It's going to be interesting. It's kind of similar, really, situation that we've got with JT. There's going to be so much commentary going back and forth with those two players, I believe. Because if JT plays well, then everybody's going to be like, oh, yeah, you see, he should definitely have been on the team. He's the guy. He's the leader. And then if he plays badly, then everyone's going to question the pick and they're going to say that some other players would have been there. I I think the same thing's going to happen with Brooks. And if he plays great, then everyone's going to be like, you see, he should have had more live players. Yeah, Bryson should have been there. Yeah, and if he struggles, then everyone's going to pile on the other way. It's just, unfortunately, the way the world is right now. It's a zero-sum game. It's, it's either all or, or nothing, and there's no right. no room in the middle for, for reasonable reasonable takes, you know? Exactly. That's, um, speaking of that, you know, I think something that I've, I've kind of been thinking a ton about is this, what Ryder Cups and President's Cups stand for, because they are... Um, when you start to look back on a player's career, career achievements, um, they are effectively the all um, NBA, all ACC team of golf, right? It's the all international team. It's the all uh, American team when, when you suit up. And when you go onto a player's Wikipedia page, it lists out how many team competition, and it is a mark of significance. Do you think, I mean, do you think we're getting to a point where they're, there's, it should all be merit based, or should the team, the captain of the team, and I'm guessing I know where you stand, always get the choice of who they go to battle with? No, there's got to be some choice. There has to be some choice. I mean, we've even considered on our team having 12 picks. <laughs> but, you know, then you run into, you talk about, you know, a boys' club and a buddy system. You're going to run into that pretty quick when the captain has the power to pick all 12. And so, you know, those discussions that we have always end up in, no, 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 we'll rather have a way for people to be able to qualify, to go out there, motivate them to go out and play well. So I think it's great. I think it's great for a a captain to have the ability to mold the team and shape the team the way he sees fit. 
bringing into account how the golf course plays and what the conditions are going to be like and whether you're home or away or whether you want more rookies or less rookies. I think that's part of it. And it, it, it uh, creates these great storylines like we've had in the last few months. And that also shows to me how much these team events do mean to the players. You know, the guys that didn't get picked on both teams, the guys that didn't get picked on, on our international team last time and the time before, you know, you talk to those guys, it hurts, man. Those phone calls, that's some of the toughest stuff that I've ever had to do in the game of golf is call a bunch of guys and, and guys that I've gotten really close to either over the years or through the process of being captain and telling them that they won't be making the team. It is brutal. It's tough for everybody. And you can see what, what it means to these players coming down the stretch of the qualifying period and how like that choke factor starts to come in because they want to make it so badly. It's, uh, it's really cool. It's really cool. So I love the ability of, of the captain having, having some choice right at the end. It, it provides another layer of discussion and getting fans excited and involved and giving their opinions. I think it's cool. Who's the player with the most pressure on him? Rory McIlroy. I think everybody's saying JT, and I agree with Rory. I think JT can go over and win a half a point, and the Americans can still win. I think Rory McIlroy has to step up to the plate and pretty much win the majority of his matches. And, you know, much like uh, Brooks, who we were talking about earlier, and his sort of ebbs and flows with the Ryder Cup and whether he likes it or not. You know, Rory went through the same thing. There's a lot of a lot of interesting quotes there over the years from Rory about the Ryder Cup and early on in his career not meaning too much. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue at Whistling Straits, he's in tears on the TV after his singles match. And he's feeling so bad about how he... Uh, didn't feel like he brought enough to the team and he didn't have his A game and he just wanted to win that single so badly and he wants to make the next team more than anything. And so his relationship with the Ryder Cup has evolved a bunch. And now, you know, I, I feel like this team is going to go as he goes. He's going to have to get out there and be the leader. He's so damn popular wherever he goes. It's fascinating. Week after week when I'm out there on tour, you know, it doesn't matter that he's not American. Whatever venue he pitches up at on the PGA Tour, he's the guy. He's the most popular guy ever since Tiger wasn't around. And now that he's playing this Ryder Cup in Europe, he's got all the accolades. He's been the leader of the game for the last couple of years on and off the course. Like It's, it's time for him to really step up and put his mark on this Ryder Cup. And sneaky, like, you know, I don't think it's sneaky, but, you know, with the European team turnover, he's he's the guy. He's the old he's, you know, oddly at age 34 or whatever he is, he's the old man in the room. Right. You, you got Justin Rose and uh, in there. But like for the, you know, in terms of Ryder Cup experience, it's it's Rory. Right. Yeah. And at some point during the team matches. I can see him having to shepherd out an Aberg or a Hoygaard and having to take, you know, those youngsters out there and um, get them going, get them fired up and try to win a point. 
he's probably the best player to be able to pair one of those two guys with at some point in the competition. To me, it seems like the toughest match play players, the the guys like when we when you think about the great match play players, there's an there's a quality of consistency of of ball striking that that kinds of, kind of like tends to like come through, right? That are usually just people that just apply relentless pressure T to green on you. Would you agree with that? Uh, would would like Sevi be the one that is like the you know, opposite. Yeah, Sevi, Oli, there's a few over the years that uh-huh. have been wild off of the tee, but have incredible records. For me, you know, 18-hole match play is such a beast. Yeah. It is completely different to anything else out there. I mean, that's that's obvious. But what I mean by that is, you know, week in and week out, the tournament is more like a marathon. You know, it gets going. These players find their stride. You can often find players that'll shoot even a one over in day one, and they got a chance to win on Sunday. But in match play, it's a sprint. In 18-hole match play, it's a sprint. And so for me, putting plays a gigantic role. If um, one of the European rookies, so who we got? Strucker, Hoygaard, McIntyre. It's hard to call Straka a rookie, to be completely honest. He's, well, he's, if, he's... If, if Brendan was here, he'd be all over me for <laughs> speaking that way about his favorite player. But this is, this is a guy that, I mean, he should be listed uh, probably among the top four Europeans. <laughs> but if one of those guys gets out there and has four putts in the first four holes and is three up, you know, it's likely that they could get a half point or get a win out of that. And so putting is so vitally important. I just look at the data that we got after the President's Cup last year. We got off to such a poor start. I mean, it was it was virtually impossible to fight back from being 8-2 down and get a victory against the team as stacked as the Americans after the first two rounds. But It was interesting on Sunday. It was Yeah, we got there. hanging we in the balance. Decent Sunday, but the putting, you know, if you look at strokes gain putting, the American team was plus 28 and we were plus five. And that huge gap all came in the first couple days and really put the tournament to bed pretty much. And so you find a way to get your eight, nine, ten guys hot with the flat stick over the first couple days, you can put yourself in a seriously good position. So putting. 18-hole match play for me is massive. Who do you think will and be? The other, thing is that, the other thing is this that I just thought of is that's where the majority of the fans congregate at these Ryder Cups is around the greens. They have all these huge stands and these viewing areas, particularly at um, you know what I've read about this golf course. There's a lot of space for people. And so you find a way to knock in a 10-footer to win or a 20-footer or an 8-footer to tie if you're a European. And that crowd goes nuts. I mean, the, the lift and the momentum that you get from that, it is huge. It's huge. Putting, putting, putting. All right. Putting it is. Um, who's the, who will be the big surprise performer um, this year? You know, we saw, obviously, Scheffler was it last year or last Ryder Cup, um, and you go back, Thomas Peters would be one that comes to mind that 
just you know ran kind of rough shot over the Americans. Um, but who who do you fancy as the surprise performer? I'm on the Aberg bandwagon. You're on uh you're on the Aberg archipelago. <laughs> Guy's good, man. Guy's good. I've been watching him all season. I think he's the best driver of the ball in the game already. It's crazy. It's a crazy thing, but yeah, I mean it's it's such a weapon in the modern game. I, I think it's always been a weapon, but it's just so quantified how big being a top, top, top shelf driver is. Like it it covers up so many holes. Yeah. Yeah, he is he is for real. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of Scheffler, where he was leading into whistling straights and funny enough, people were questioning that pick. Yeah. And then within within what are we in? September. So what is that? Six or seven months. Seven months later, the guy had won four tournaments and the Masters, or including the Masters. I'll, I mean, I'll never forget. Everybody's like, "Oh, they're just sending Scheffler out to get to get beat beat up by Rom <laughs> at Whistling Straits." They had that singles <laughs> match. Yeah. And it's like, little did we know that, like, you know, you're talking. You just put two Goliaths of the game against each other you know to the the dream in a year it's like the dream sunday final round showdown one of the dream is a rom scheffler showdown and we got it at at whistling straits and and it was over quick yeah yeah i mean he we've spoken so much about the european team We, we need to speak a bit more about the americans and i'll start with scheffler dude the way that guy hits the ball is nuts Every single week I'm out there, I make sure to go and watch him hit balls. The strike, the ball flight, the power, it's, uh, it's awesome to watch. He's like, he's the closest thing I've seen to Iron Byron. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, this year, just the consistency. I, I, you know, you, you obviously played at, at top flight golf. Is consistency the thing that everybody's chasing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is because when you when you have that, you give yourself more chances on Sunday and more chances equates to more wins at the end of your career. So uh, the way he's played in the last two years, it just doesn't seem to end either. If, if he if he could find a way to putt, it would be over. It would be over. Maybe he's got to go to the broom. He's got to go Lucas Glover route. I wonder how it, it sure did work for a number of guys at the toward the end of the season. Ben Ahn was another one. Adam Scott's been using it. See Wu's Akshay it. went to it. How did he play last week using I, it? I didn't I didn't look. You know, that would be I something. See you follow uh, golf really, I see you follow golf really close. I was yet. on a bachelor party last weekend. That, All right. That Give me in, a break. That was in a that was in another one of your hometowns, and you didn't even pay attention to it. I was I was out of town. Give me a break. I, you know, your brother-in-law only gets married once, hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, I'll be interested to see what if Scheffler comes with any changes to the routine, to the stroke, to the equipment. Does he come in with another putter? What the deal is? I'm sure he's been working on it because he must be. So sick and tired of people asking him and commenting about his putting. It's got to be driving him insane. I mean, I I think he's got to go the other way. He's got to just like not practice. 
I think this is cra- this might be a crazy thought, but like I hope he didn't hit a putt for a month. I hope he played where he just hit the green and then he walked off and and like just don't hit a putt and completely reset. Like you can't let this like because we saw a year ago the stroke was nails. I mean, like a year ago, you're like, where's their hole? There's no hole in this guy's game. He's a great putter. He's relentless. He makes everything he has to make. And then one year later, it's like, it, there, this is all in the head. He just needs to just not, I he needs to not go, go like hit a putt. I said this about Spieth a few years ago when he was struggling with the driver, is that he should have gone and played at Mammoth Dunes, the Sand Valley course, which is like 95 yards wide on every hole. So he couldn't miss the fairway. Just go somewhere where you can't miss fairways and get it out of your head so that you have confidence. So with Scheffler, just don't hit any putts for a while. First of all, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and secondly, when do you think it started for Scheffler? That's a good question. I think I'd have to like really dive in and look back. But like, it, there had to be a moment, right? Maybe the four you know putt at Augusta. You know what I think it was? I think it was the four putt to win at Augusta. Could have, right? He just missed one and it was like, it's in his head. Yeah. That's what, I mean, to me, like when I, because every week when I'm preparing to do TV, I'm thinking about uh, different ways to say similar things, really, essentially, and trying to understand the, the trends of what's going on out there. And I was just thinking back to myself, like with, with the putting, because it was such a, it was one of the biggest topics of the year really, with Scotty Scheffler's putting. And then I thought back to when he won. By, he still won by three or four, and he four-putted the last green, and he just, he just couldn't quite, quite find a way to get it in from a couple feet there for a couple minutes. Yeah, I mean, if you if you go back here and you start to look, it's like that's when the string of really high finishes without wins happened. Could you maybe put the tour championship in that bucket too? When when he when he got kind of body bagged by Rory on Sunday. Yeah, because what was he six ahead there going into the final day? Yeah, six or seven. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. That's tough to cough up a lead like that. I think like the to me one of the most illuminating aspects of full swing is is the the Brooks and the Brooks and Scotty show the episode on Brooks and Scotty when Brooks yeah. was talking about, you know what? Right now that guy's not thinking about anything. He's just going out and shooting 66s. It's, you know, it's so easy for him. And it was like this reflection back of a guy that had that and lost it. And it's, I feel like those things, the, you lose those things when there's some sort of trauma induced. And you could look at Brooks and say, Tiger induced some trauma on him that created self-doubt and that masters that Tiger won, you know, when, yeah, yeah. And, and then you go to, to Scotty and maybe it was the four putt at at Augusta that just had some doubt creep in. Maybe it was Rory at, at the tour championship, but something has made golf more difficult than his head. Well, not necessarily golf, just putting. Yeah. Not golf. Uh, yeah. But th- I mean, this is this is a thing that like Adam Scott and Sergio dealt with for years. Right. When you hit it so close, there's another aspect of it is like you're he hits it 
to where to that distance that's like you expect to make but you the percentages there's there's a disconnect with like the percentages that you actually make but you expect to make them right yeah he hits that's it there more point. more than anybody so it kind of wear wears on you i think yeah there's no doubt about that you could probably throw rory in that bucket too sometimes their putting can be harshly judged because you see them have so many chances mm-hmm. even though percentage wise it's like they're making, you know, they're making not that bad of a clip, but you just, when you're eight feet away, you expect every tour player to make it. Yeah. So that's, that's something I'm really intrigued by is seeing not only how he putts in this Ryder Cup when the moment is just so massive, but, you know, can he find some sort of a solution just to putt average? Because if he does, I, I, I promise you, if Scotty Scheffler puts at tour average, he will win at least five times next year. How great would it be to have Scotty as your alt shot partner? Oh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what a dream. The guy is so good. He hits it so good. Like, any any moment I can go watch him hit balls, I make sure to do it. I actually, when I'm out working at tournaments, I look at the tee sheet to see when he's playing, and I figure out when he's gonna be on the range, and then I go there so that I can watch. All right, big big last question: Who's gonna win the Ryder Cup? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm <laughs> not you, gonna give you an answer on that. I'm gonna this say guy. this: Just not not giving any bulletin board material. No, look, my my whole year, I have to be definitive, definitive on points, and so I'm not going to do that this time because I'm on holiday now. <laughs> but here's what I here's what I will say: the last four have been complete blowouts, and I think this one's going to be close. I really do. I think this is like the biggest toss-up year, right? It's. Yeah. Uh, I don't think like. <laughs> You know, when when, Ameri- when America went to uh, like Golf National, they were saddled with Phil and Bryson at golf courses that were just so bad for them. Those were the narrowest fairways I've ever seen in my life. I played, I played the French Open that year, which was at the same golf course because yeah. yeah. you know the Europeans they kind of smart and sneaky with the way when they're hosting the Ryder Cup, the way they do their schedule and how they figure things out. Like, just look at the last couple of weeks. Their big dogs have all had a nice run into this Ryder Cup. They're keeping the game sharp. Yeah. They've competed well. They're hanging out together at tournaments. And so, really, a lot of the work, so to speak, has been done. They made the quick trip into Rome on the Monday of Wentworth. Like, they, they've got this thing dialed in. And it was the same in what was that, 2018 in France, when yeah. we had the French Open, and I played that tournament that year. And we rolled up to that golf course. I swear to you, the rough was waist high. <laughs> it was waist high. If you, were, if, you were, if you were like eight to ten yards off the fairway, it was waist high. Like You could lose your golf bag in there. <laughs> it was the narrowest, most intimidating golf course I've ever played on in my life. There's I think, water everywhere at that golf course as well. I'll never forget. I think it was the third hole of it was the third hole of a match. Phil hit one of the worst tee shots I've ever seen a tour pro hit, and it was like, "What's going on here? Why is this guy out here?" 
But I will say something you just illuminated on. This is one of the huge advantages the Europeans have is that their tour that they 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 own the the Ryder Cup rights. Yeah. They set up there's an inherent like joint interest with the Americans and this could just be like one of the aspects of their struggles is that the PGA Tour doesn't own the Ryder Cup. Yeah. So the schedule there's nothing that works in concert with it the way the European Tour does, right? The That's European right. Tour everything's aligned versus the PGA Tour, the PGA of America owns it not the pga tour exactly and that disconnect is and i think like honestly one of the first orders of business if this if this framework agreement this new co gets done the first order is the business they the pga tour or the new company whatever it's called should go buy the Ryder cup from the pga it is like it makes no sense you know and this might bother the pga it makes zero sense that they own it (laughs) You're just making friends everywhere well, right now. You know, actually, I've got actually, a lot of people you, that have been mad at me lately. So, actually, if you dig deep enough, really, the PGA Tour owns a piece of the European team. Yes. <laughs> so, it's in their best interest that uh, that the event goes off well this week. It's in the tour's best interest, and really, we've seen it. You look, I I got my start on the uh, old European Tour, now a different name. And um, have been a, a proud member of that tour for a long, long time. And you, you, you only have to be on that tour for five minutes to realize that the whole thing runs on the Ryder Cup. The whole European tour or DP World Tour it runs on the Ryder Cup being successful, on home Ryder Cups being successful. And so that's how they get the buy-in from so many people, you know, players, caddies, agents, everybody that's over there. Every decision that gets made pretty much is with bringing the Ryder Cup into account and making sure that that carries the correct weight. All right. Last question. Then we'll get you out of here. Are you surprised that Blocky didn't make the team? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know, man. At least an assistant <laughs> captain. You got you got to get him out there. I I'm not. Well, I bet he's it. gonna be. He's gonna be out there. He should have actually been, um, trying to get on the European team and then playing alt shot because he could have had Rory hitting his tee shots <laughs> in alt shot, and then he would just have the flip wedges in, and it would be money, unbeatable. It's uh, it's unbelievable. I I uh, you you're gonna be on the call and. And Valhalla, a blocky fever. You got, he's playing. I just saw he won the Southern PGA. I mean, the guy's great. Look, he wins. Great the player. guy's a, he, <laughs> like, he's he's a winner, man. He's, he's a winner. Like, he's now in the Amex and Tory Pines. So you'll, your first tournament out, he'll be, he'll be in the mix there. Hey, oh, last question. I actually, real serious question. You got kind of a new schedule this year. What tournament, yeah. what regular tournament, non major, are you most excited for in, uh, in 2023? 2024. Uh, Still on 2022. Non-major. Non-major. You can't. You can't just say the Masters. I'm sorry. You're just making me pick one. Can I give you two? Yeah, you could go two. I, I, you know, I, I, this question I thought of like 40 minutes ago. So yeah, the, the uh, first of all, I think 
yeah, you see, now I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you even more. First of all, I think Pebble is going to be... That's the one. Pebble's going to be fun. I think that's the one that's going to be awesome. Pebble is going to be fun once everybody gets over the initial shock of, you know, the history of that tournament is about mega celebrities um, playing golf. And that's no longer going to be the case come the weekend. But if we get two nice days of weather on the Saturday and Sunday of Pebble, when you got the best players in the world all playing, it is going to be off the chart. So that is going to be sneaky great. Might end up being the best tournament of the year. LA always gets me going. It was one of my favorite tournaments when I was playing. Golf course is... Love it. I just love it. I love everything about it. Maybe Tiger will play. Who knows? I hear, I, I've heard that he, everything, you know, this is unsubstantiated rumors going to come over to, to the fried egg from, uh, from, from shotgun start for a minute. I'm hearing yeah. everything. Tiger is gearing up, trying his hardest recovery, recovery goal. Number one is the PNC father, son. Wow, that's that's we've seen in the last couple of years. It's been an important <laughs> tournament. Too. It is. It is like every the the recovery, the injury recovery is his sights are set on one thing. It's fixated on one tournament, and that's the father son. So, so with the with the uh, media the way it is, and social media the way it is, who let's say that the Woods team plays the parent child it's not called the father son anymore andy okay parent okay. child i my bad okay i'm sorry who would win name. who would win on the pip rankings between for 2023 between blocky and charlie woods <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good one <laughs> i th- i mean you want to talk about made for tv match i think the next match should be blocky versus charlie woods that that would be a big one It'd be electric <laughs> People dial in in December to see how Charlie Woods is playing and how much bigger he's gotten and how far he's hitting it. The kid is, I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be good. Can you imagine? I love, I love the people too that are like, well, he's ranked, he's ranked uh, 82 in the, in his class in the junior rankings. It's like, you know, like with golf, like who's the best at 14 or 15 is rarely who's the best at 22. Yeah. Occasionally, yeah, and, there are phenoms that like, but like, it's such a weird non-linear thing, right? But can you can you imagine being taught to play the game by Tiger Woods? No, I, mean, I, I honestly, I got taught by my dad, who's like a sixteen handicap. So I can <laughs> honestly tell you that I I cannot fathom that. You know, it's like. It's like so often during the year, McElroy just said it. We've heard Justin Thomas over the years. McElroy, uh, over the last few weeks, like the stuff he's learned from Tiger and the little shots and the short game shots and different spin and grips and stuff. Imagine the nuggets that Charlie is getting from his old man. That he doesn't even know that he learned. That's the thing. Is that like you spend time listening to somebody talk. And you pick up these things and you're like, oh, I never thought about that. But that's your entire basis of understanding is that that level of sophistication. That is got to be, gosh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that. But if they do play, obviously the world wants to see 
where Tiger's game is at and how his health is. Um, uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan. I'm a I'm a Tiger guy. He did so much for our sport, and for me as an international coming to play on the PGA Tour, he he drove the PGA Tour and still does in many ways. And so everything I have is thanks to him. So I've always been a fan. Uh, so if people want to see how his game is looking and if he can still swing it, but then they want to see how the kid is going. So the mentions go nuts. Yeah, I mean... Charlie probably would make the pip, PGA Tour pip just through one tournament in December. Could you imagine if they started giving him pip money and, and, and some of the guys that missed out because Charlie Woods got money? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> the guy that was like the first off the list. What, what he would say? Blocky and Charlie Woods. <laughs> hasn't it been Morikawa the last two years? At yeah, 11? number 11. Both years? Yeah, I think so. I think they, I think they had, I think the cohort of like... Can't can't lay Xander and and uh and Morikawa really don't like the pip. Yeah, well, that they've changed it now. There's much there's uh there's much less uh social media ranking, more about how you play. So. Yeah, I I don't know how it should be. I don't think you should just get paid for being good. You know, you that's what the money in tournaments and and sponsorships is for. But yeah, I think if you're gonna have something like that, then it it needs to be more of what you're bringing as a whole. Uh, and obviously how you play should be a slice of that. But uh, I never finished my answer. The memorial is the other one. The memorial is just, it's great. That one's going to still have a cut, right? Yeah, the, the uh, I don't know what is the official word now, the legacy events. Riv, API, and, and memorial. It'll have a small cut, yeah. Those will be It'll the ones where... Cut. We'll get to see the guys have to have to grind a little for their cash. Yeah, but Memorial is great. It's uh, it's awesome. I also love playing that tournament. And, you know, this year for me to be able to be up there with Nance and Jack coming into the booth and everything, the whole setup there is money. The players love it. New 16th hole, too. Yeah, the players will be happy about that. I actually <laughs> thought it was a lot of fun peppering Jack with questions about about what he thought about the green and how they were playing it. The game is so uber simple to him. You know, I remember when I... Did you uh, play when he did the furrowed rakes? Yes, I actually finished in the top five that year, I believe. <laughs> Patterson just dominated. Gosh, that was all luck of the draw. You would go in there, sometimes it would be sitting up top, other times it would be down in a semi-plugged lie. It sure did make it difficult because the bunkers are so deep that there's just no way to get spin on it. I mean, So you, you, you played away from them, that's for sure. I mean, they actually were hazards. They actually were hazards. I remember like that first, on the first tee uh, back then, that fairway bunker on the right really was in play. Nowadays, half the field just bombs it right over there. But, um, you know, not long ago, that bunker was was somewhat in play. And if you drove it in there and you were down lying in the bottom of that those furrows, you were just like, oh, my word, this is going to be the longest day ever. I can't get this thing anywhere near the green. But, yeah, that, the uh, was it, was the locker is so cool. The locker room had to be electric. Well, we sort of got an inkling that it was going to be happening a couple of weeks before. So guys were semi-prepared. <laughs> but once you actually got your hands on 
on those rakes and saw <laughs> how far away those spokes were from each other. It was alarming. It was it was it was alarming for sure. But hey, you know the bit. What I've found over the years is the best players like that stuff. Yeah, because the harder it is, the more they're like, "Oh, this is going to be even easier for me to win or to have a chance with nine holes to play." If you want to bring more people into it, that's when you you uh, you bring more luck into play. I feel more like. Var- we see that with uh, like when it rains, like you get these super bunched leaderboards when a course is soft and it's like a shootout and you get eight guys, which it makes it, it's got to be impossible to cover. It's, it's got to be so hard when there's 15 guys that can win on the back nine on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cause like, once again, you know, any, these guys are all so good that um, anybody can get hot anybody at that point can get hot and create a massive upset and all of a sudden beat Rahm at the post or beat McElroy or Scheffler at the post. Whereas when it is just brutally tough, fair but tough, and when it's quick and firm, then, you know, there's probably only a handful of guys that can get it done. Yeah. But yeah, the memorial is awesome. I look forward to seeing that 16th and what, what he's done there. All right, Trevor, thanks so much for coming on. I, uh, I'm looking forward to another season with you on CBS. I thought it was, uh, you were terrific, uh, last year, really, really enjoyed the, uh, the commentary and, uh, and, and thank you for doing this, even though you didn't prepare, even though you threw it back in my face, I'm, uh, I'm happy <laughs> you were, you, you were great on no prep. So I appreciate well, that. Hey, last time when we did this before the Masters, you cheated. You told me to prepare five things. You were, you were putting like three things in one bucket of your five. I mean, that's why I was just like, look, if this guy's not playing by the rules, I'm not even going to play. I was I was really sick when we did that recording too. I was like, I, I I hope it didn't come off. I was like very ill when we did that recording. So this is this has been nice. I'm I'm feeling a lot a lot more spry today. Uh, that's good. Well, listen, I'm a huge fan of what you guys do over there and uh, keep the good stuff coming. And I look forward to join you all soon sometime down the road. Yeah. I got to do a pod with that knucklehead Brendan at some point. Well, you got to come on the shotgun start one of these days. You, you, know? you know who you two, you two remind me of Beavis and Butthead every time <laughs> I listen to the shotgun start. I don't know if that's that? a compliment. <laughs> well, it was my favorite show when I was growing up. It was my favorite show. But when you two start chuckling at each other, it reminds me so much of Beavis and Butthead. It's uh it's fun. It's it's you build uh as you probably you're doing with Jim Nance, right? Like when you spend so many hours on uh yeah. on set with someone, you just uh you build a chemistry and it's it's super fun. You kinda you kinda I, my favorite thing is I know when when there's a Sergio meatball coming over the middle of the plate, I don't have to say anything. I just can sit back and Brendan will be like, you got anything on this? It's like, no, I think, I think you just covered it with five minutes yeah, on, on that. Just, <laughs> just let him run wild. And now he, he seems to be coming into all these shows just a little more wound up because it's football season with the Browns. And, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, he just seems to be a little more on edge. The big guy. Yeah, it was BC. BC almost took down Florida State the other day. You know. Oh, I know. That's we're gonna play them this weekend at Clemson. I'm going up tomorrow. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Trevor. Hopefully, uh, when people are hearing this, you'll be celebrating a big uh, Clemson win. So thanks again. So too. Thanks. Great to join you. I'm looking forward to this Ryder Cup. 
Thank you for listening to another edition of the Friday Golf Podcast. Thanks to Matt Ruches for, as always, for editing, producing this podcast. I know he's on going to be on a little travel bench now, so it might be Meg Atkins getting a spot start next week um, with our second pot of the week. But um, hey, as a quick reminder, uh, we are we're cooking in, in Club TFE. We've got a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, we'll have some Ryder Cup preview content available there. One of the things that might interest people, we we are putting out a little sneak peek to the starts of the Friday uh, events calendar for next year. So the Friday golf events calendar for next year. We put one up on Friday. Um, if you're a member, you can see that. You also get early access to it. And we'll start to probably have some of those early year and bigger events uh, go towards the back half of this year. So if you want to get involved and see some cool golf courses, uh, check that out. But um, that's uh, that's what's going on at Club TFE. It is $120 for the entire year. You, it starts whenever you start your membership. And uh, it, it put a lot of lot of time and effort into it. And it's a great way to support us. So go to thefriedegg.com slash membership to check out the benefits and sign up. All the benefits, there's a lot of them. Um, and thank you so much for the support. It's been an awesome year. Kind of sad with this Ryder Cup. It, it, it kind of sing- signals a little bit of the end. Um, but we'll uh, we'll have awesome time to talk golf architecture and other things in that. So thanks and uh, looking forward to a great Ryder Cup. Yeah.